0: This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report.
1: At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, relax, Grab a cold and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to the Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold, Commodore Nation. Anchor down the drunk girl scream and shout we love it we hate it we're
2: all just trying to make it in this crazy town well we are back we're going to we're going to finally start to get into a little bit of a rhythm here it's it's almost football saying, season <laughs> we do I, we, I i keep saying it but uh, well we still got time we we got almost 4 weeks uh more more like 3 weeks now at this point 24 days away uh, from Hawaii. It's kind of crazy saying that, but um, we're gonna get into a lot of football today. But we've also got a little bit of basketball to talk about. Will this is last week's news that we should have gotten to in in a pod last week, but we didn't. Uh, but Vanderbilt and Memphis will uh will play in basketball this year. And will this? I don't know. Have have you ever seen this this late of a scheduled game for a season? Now, I I, I think this this is getting more common now, especially after COVID. But to see this, I mean, this close to the season in a game like this, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Vandy, Memphis.
0: Yeah, they. I, I think I read in an article. I'm not sure where I read it, but I read that it was the first time that Memphis would be playing in Memorial since 1997. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty significant. I think it was their last matchup since 2005 in the NIT. So uh, that's an in-state. I won't even say rival, but in-state competitor that I think could be a little bit of a rivalry get that west coast or west side of Tennessee not west coast then you uh with Memphis get the middle there with Vanderbilt and then you have on the east out there with Tennessee get a little highway type of rivalry thing going but we'll see we'll see i mean well, it, it's out of conference college basketball i'm excited about football billy i yeah. I'm, I'm too dialed into football right now
2: I've got a really good question for you when we get to that topic right out of the gates after the, after um, our, our little breaking news segment. So I think you'll like that, but fall camp has begun for Vanderbilt football. Again, we're 24 days away from Hawaii. Um, again, fall camp is always tough to, to try to squeeze things out of that. Uh, but we'll try to get to maybe a couple reports here and there from fall camp. We'll get to some quotes from coach Lee and Joey Lynch uh, towards the end of the podcast. Um, and they well they've got a scrimmage at Insworth on Saturday. I don't know if you heard about that. There's, construction going on of course at Vanderbilt Stadium so they're uh they're heading over to Ensworth for Saturday on Saturday for a scrimmage so uh we will get to all of that uh breaking news if you will uh here in a second but don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door.report like us on Facebook subscribe to our YouTube channel our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts and while you're at it give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes All right, let's get to the breaking news.
1: No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on.
2: All right, Will. I, I couldn't love this anymore. Vanderbilt and Memphis uh, starting starting the season. Season opener, home opener for Vanderbilt. Uh, the Tigers and the Commodores, it'll be on November 7th. It's uh, it's on a Monday night. And, and honestly, Will, I wouldn't be surprised if this is put on ESPN or at least ESPN2 just because of the two coaches and, of course, the program that Memphis is, and Vanderbilt's not a slouch program either, but more so the coaches. You got Jerry Stackhouse facing off against Penny Hardaway. And you look at those two guys, I I mean, they had to have played each other, at least seen each other at some point in the NBA. Um, so I think that's the, the coolest part about it. But also, Will, you mentioned it right off the top, first time Memphis has played at, at Memorial Gym in 25 years. So you would think this would be more common, but it's not. Um, and, and so, Will, Stack versus, versus Penny Hardaway, that's why I know you want to talk football, but seeing this headline got me pretty excited about, uh, about that matchup November 7th.
0: Yeah, basketball season, I'm hoping we can get back to the point that, and I keep making reference to this, I remember about seven games into every single football season that you Mm -hmm. would sit there in Vanderbilt and Kentucky fans, and this is not, this is a slight at both of those football programs traditionally, but about seven games in, both fan bases would say, just wait for basketball season. And Kentucky continued their relevance and, and dominance in college basketball and they also unfairly are very good at football now that's not fair <laughs> you're, you're not allowed to be good at football but I'm hoping we can get back to that point and matchups like this and actually going into them and not being double digit underdogs which may be a possibility that Vanderbilt won't be a double digit underdog at home against Memphis Uh, Penny Hardaway's Memphis team there. So that says something in and of itself that just looking far out saying that you're excited for this matchup. Because I think two years ago, you certainly wouldn't have been looking at Memphis coming into Memorial Gym and saying that's going to be an exciting matchup. I can't wait to either be there or see that on ESPN. So I think that in and of itself says a lot about what Stackhouse has done and at least the excitement going into this upcoming season.
2: Yeah, Vanderbilt's going to be excited. They should be excited about this game. But for Memphis, they should be excited about this game because of what happened last time they tried to play a game in Nashville against Tennessee where their whole team pretty much got COVID. They're out (laughs) out with COVID. So you got to believe Memphis is going to be excited to get back to Nashville and actually play a game there, this time at Memorial Gym. But, Will, let me ask you this. I've been wondering this forever, for the longest time, ever since 10, 11, 12 years old. Why doesn't Vanderbilt, Memphis, Tennessee, and – whoever else you know it doesn't even have to be four teams but uh, you could do a three-team jamboree but obviously preferably four teams mtsu would probably be uh, the best choice there a four-team jamboree tournament whether it's at bridgestone or wherever i know there's all kinds of logisticals that are always involved in situations like this but what, what, what if you're Vanderbilt? Are, are you in favor of something like that and now, now there's always the the, the disposition of uh, We don't want to we don't want to suffer an early season loss against, you know, an in-state team. I I get that. But there's also a lot of reward to it. What if you knock down a Memphis early in the year? What if you what if you knock down a a Tennessee kind of early in the season? I've always wondered that. And and, uh, it takes a lot for that to happen. But I think if you're Vanderbilt, that would be a great idea, especially with where they are in their basketball program right now.
0: I've always been a big fan of having more jamboree style, local type tournaments like they have in high school. All the time you see jamboree and in season small tournaments with local mid state schools. And in college, you really don't see anything like that. You see the conference matchups, which are always awesome. And I don't see why people don't extend that logic to saying, hey, instead of playing Mississippi Valley State Delta, let's just (laughs) include all of these division one basketball programs especially in a state like Tennessee I mean you can extend it out as far as you want to go and then you take away the risk from these large programs of saying okay you were going to schedule in a team that was one of these lower tier division one teams anyway well it within the state you have Austin P, Tennessee Tech, the University of Tennessee Chattanooga, you have Knoxville, Vanderbilt, and Memphis and that's just UT Martin and that Belmont Lipscomb you can just keep going TSU just keep going down the list and you can have a hell of an event that draws a lot more attention a lot more excitement I think players would enjoy it I know fans would enjoy it because a lot of those fans of Tennessee and Vanderbilt went to other schools and are alumni of other universities in, in Tennessee and I think that would bring A lot of energy to basketball in a growing sport in the South that has a lot of these schools at around the same level, you have three upper tier schools, I would say, and then you have some more middle tier like Belmont and MTSU Mm -hmm. I would put I would say about right there and then you have five around that schools that you would classify kind of in the bottom half. And not to diminish anything that Austin P has done. They made it to the NCAA tournament a few years back, but I mean the bottom half of NCAA division one right. program. So I think it would kind of play out how you'd want it to. Now that doesn't get into any of the logistics of scheduling 10 teams to play in one or eight teams to play in one Jamboree tournament yeah. during a semester of college when these guys people forget have class and have stuff they have to do. I know that's kind of forgotten and joked about, but that is a real thing that they have schoolwork and things to do. So you can't just say like in the professionals that we're just go- going to go Wednesday or Tuesday through Sunday in Nashville. It doesn't work that simply. So especially at the schools like Tennessee Tech and Austin Peay. Right. But yeah, Billy, I'm I'm in t- total agreement. I say you should get that going.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll get I'll start it up. Boy. I'll start it up. I'll start emailing schools. Uh, but uh, the basketball in Tennessee is phenomenal right now I mean I, I I forgot about Belmont and Lipscomb those two teams are are always very good at the level that they play at and Vanderbilt of course we've all we talked well, about Belmont
0: Belmont, Belmont Belmont have got to separate out Belmont's in a tier of their own as far as mid-majors go but Belmont <laughs> yeah.
2: Belmont has separated themselves from from everybody yeah. else um but no I think I think, it, I think it would be great will and, and you know especially for a school like Vanderbilt they, they feel it feels like Vanderbilt is the one school that never wants to do this. Um, but I think it, it would be, it would benefit them, especially with where this program is and, and kind of the high risk, high reward uh, situation there. So, but yeah, Vandy Memphis, November 7th. Uh, we'll see what channel that gets put on, but, uh, Stackhouse versus Hardaway there in that matchup, but well, let's move on to football here. Fall camp is underway. Started last Friday. We are officially 24 all going on 23 days away from Hawaii. Um, and, well, I, I haven't had time to get out to practice. Um, I, I actually got credentials. I'm surprised I did. Um, but I have not had time to get out there. I plan on going to the scrimmage, though, on Saturday. Um, well, word on the street right now is that this go-round for Clark Lee is much easier than the beginning of fall camp last year. <laughs> um, so well, they're, they're much further along uh, this time of le- at, as opposed to this point last year in fall camp. Um, I mean, I don't know how, how you get much worse than what happened in fall camp last season. So, Um, but well, it's always interesting kind of hearing, you know, hearing rumors around fall camp and kind of where guys are playing. of course, reporters are, aren't allowed to basically do their job uh, (laughs) during fall camp. (laughs) Yeah. I got to keep things pretty much all secret. Um, But I, I'm, I'm looking forward to going just to see first off Mike Wright's improvement. And if, if he has improved that, that's, that's kind of the first thing I want to look at, you know, when I do get the chance to get out there. Um, because I mean, as a fan, it's kind of tough, but it, when you're there, it's like, okay, this guy looks bigger. Mike Wright's arm has improved. This guy's a lot taller. So th- that's kind of what, what, what I look forward to fall camp in. It's not, you know, stats of a scrimmage, but it's more so, you know, what do these guys look like out there on the field and how much bigger, bigger have they got, and, you know, things like that. So, um but well, it is kind of interesting. I mean, Almost three weeks away, so we, we've got to get our season, full season preview in here soon. But um, it's uh, it's just it's kind of interesting starting to talk about football now.
0: Yeah, I think probably next week or the week after will be the full in depth breakdown of the depth chart because there'll yeah. be a lot more notes coming out of fall camp. You've seen a, a few little things coming coming out here and there, and some quotes and micro right, all of the things that you would expect to hear. I don't think that yeah. there's been anything dramatic come out. As far as anything, I think the biggest piece of news was obviously Clark Lee announcing Mike Wright being 100 percent the starting quarterback during mm. SEC media days. And that answered one of the questions I would say that it was probably in our minds, like 80, 90 percent Mike Wright's job. But it completely sealed up that that question for us to debate throughout fall camp. So yeah. that that's one thing to start off that you just don't have to look at. I think that the position groups that are really interesting are number one, of course, always with Vanderbilt, this offensive line. And and they're coming off a bad year, a, a bad year. There's no other way to say it. And on top of having quarterbacks that didn't necessarily execute at the highest level, especially early in the season, you also had an offensive line that did not execute at a high level and prevented them from doing a lot of the things they wanted to do down the field. And I don't think so far during camp that there are many questions that have been answered. And I think uh, AJ Blazik has been, Coach Blazik has been very, very open about the fact that pretty much every single spot is open and none I of regret. these guys are necessarily in set positions. They're all sliding around in different spots, we'll all be rotating in whether it's left guard right guard or even swapping from the guard or tackle positions. I mean, I have no idea. I don't think any, any people have an idea of who's going to be the starters, but I don't think, I think it would, that would probably be the position that would be toughest to predict even 80%, yeah. four out of five of who those guys by game two or three are going to be on that offensive line. Because I think against Hawaii, and Elon early, that's going to be a lot of figuring out of of who's actually going to be playing snaps uh, during the whole season. Yeah, well,
2: so far I've been interested, you know, watching the interviews um, on YouTube here and there of Coach Lee, and, and, you know, it's all, most of it, all of it is coach speak, actually. But you can kind of tell a difference. I don't know if you remember what how these guys were talking during, you know, kind of leading up to fall camp last year as opposed to this year. There's not as many questions and kind of the way they talk it's there's it's a lot more direct and, and yes they do feel confident and yeah you're going to talk this is how coaches are going to talk of course leading up to fall camp but I don't know if you've seen them but it, it it does feel like it does feel like there's a little bit more confidence there's more progression you know and even I mean hearing Mike Wright talk no matter when you know no matter what he's talking about no matter when it is it's like okay you There's confidence there,
0: you know, and he exudes confidence. Yeah, I I know what it is.
2: I and I think that matters. Now, we we have to see him go out on the field, but I can't remember the last time a Vanderbilt quarterback sounded like this. And and, you know, I think that matters. Of course, you got to go out there and do it on the field, but this is a big first step as a quarterback. Now, you've got to be the vocal leader of the team. And Mike Wright obviously is I mean it, it he's the he's the vocal leader of the entire team not just the, the skill position players not just the offense but the vocal leader of the entire team and and so I, I think that's big and and I think that's also a big reason why they named him the starting quarterback because he he had that much of a command um, of the team so I, I just I think that's important will and, and you know we can say what we want about it um, but for Mike Wright he's just I, I think of him as you know how much has he improved? How much of a grasp does he have on the offense? And how, how will he perform behind that O-line? You know, is it going to be the same as last year? You know, or is he going to be able to kind of sit back there behind a better offensive line? So, it's kind of – for me, Will, this year, and yes, I you know, I'm, I'm looking at the defense. But for the defense, and I think we agree, the defense right now is kind of, you know, we're fine we're fine with it. I mean, Cautiously obviously –
0: optimistic about yeah, the defense.
2: I, I mean, obviously – they're going to give up some points. We know that. Um, but the, the concerns right now for both of us, and we've talked about it, is on the offensive end. Um, now, there, there there are some concerns defensively, and, and we'll get to those. Um, but would you agree there that that offensively, you know, how, how much better did the O-line get? And, you know, is it possible for them to improve this much to give Mike Wright just a second or two much more time? I mean, Whoa. that's kind of my question. Is that possible?
0: I mean, A, you have to go from the start of, did ha, is the offensive line improved? Because you, you lost your starting left tackle uh, transferring to Alabama and Tyler Steen. So right. you lost a little bit there and say, is this offensive line going to be better? And I think that they have a lot more options. I think they're going to be able to find a cohesive unit at some point. Is that going to be week one, week two, week three? I'm not sure. And obviously, even the best Vanderbilt O-lines, were not top five in the conference they probably were barely top, top 10. half yeah in the entire power five just in general vanderbilt is just not able to get a consistent large amount of those big bodies coming in they just never have been offensive or defensive line every other position yes but offensive and defensive line no because it's a numbers game it's big bodies a lot of it has to do with injury on those offensive line guys but Getting to Mike Wright, I think that he is the starter. They had to make a choice early because just yeah. the playing styles are so different between Ken Seals and Mike Wright. You could keep the illusion if you wanted to out to everyone else who the starter was going to be, if you desired, that you have to build the offense around one of those two guys. Yeah. They're not interchangeable. This is not Ken Seals or AJ Swan. This is a running run first running quarterback versus a pass first pocket quarterback so you can't just say we're going to run the same offense regardless that would be stupid that's kind of what they did last year but you you talked about the quotes of being more confident and and things feeling better and I would hope so and and I'm (laughs) going to be optimistic and I'm not going to go in with the mindset of looking at last season I can wash that away but I would hope so I mean they keep saying these things of you know, year year two things are a lot more under control. We're, we're light years ahead. And I'm like, well, I I sure as hell hope so, because you got your ass kicked by ETSU week one and then scraped by Colorado State. So I, I would really, really, really hope they're in a better spot. But yeah, I mean, you had a bunch of first year coach, not first year coaches, but first years in those set positions and kind of step up roles and first year head coach Clark Lee. And I, he was in over his head. I think game one against Temple of Derek Mason's tenure, he was clearly in over his head. And, and that was obvious from the, the game plan to timeout usage to control the sideline to speaking to the officials. He was everything was out of control. And that's how it was against ETSU. Everything was too focused on the other stuff. And it, it's the old saying of you can have old head coaches that give advice to Clark Lee, and I'm sure he had a ton of mentors reach out. And he had been studying underneath great head coaches at great programs for a very long time. And you can be told about the level of preparation and how confident you need to be going into week one. And you can be told over and over and over. Much like if you're told as a child, if I touch this stove while it is hot, I'm going to burn my hand. Somebody can tell you that a thousand times, just like coaches can tell Clark Lee that. But once you actually experience that disastrous start to your head coaching career, once you actually burn your hand on that stove, you better believe that that's not going to happen again. And I and that is the biggest test here, is even if this team doesn't come out and dominate Hawaii, even if they lose and Hawaii ends up being better and mistakes cost them, once again, this year is not going to be evaluated on wins and losses from do I expect an improvement? Maybe to see three wins on the board—that's not an insane proposition. And hope that the the win loss over under is two and a half. I you're, like. Dude, over. you're insane. You're insane for thinking that. Three yeah, wins? that's crazy expectations. I know that saying that three wins, but I'm not going to judge it on that. But this game plan better be crisp. And on the offensive side, I, you got to run through a little spiel there. I want to before we shift over to defense the things that I want to see because this won't be a roster breakdown, but the lack of utilization of tight ends last season, that Mm has to change. Ben Bresnahan, Gavin Schoenwald, Joel DeCourcy, Justin Ball, uh, but specifically Bresnahan and Schoenwald. So this is the part of the offensive line that I wanted to get to. So I think this is the most underrated part of Bresnahan and Schoenwald is the assistance that they will provide to an undermanned offensive line in run blocking and pass pro. And being able to chip block on the outside, have a lot of two tight end sets, but those two tight end sets don't limit you. You and, can put Bresnahan or Schoenwald outside, or they can stay inside and block, and you can rotate in other experienced big body tight ends. And so people they, forget done about a good that. Job of they building that depth. This tight end group is a strength, it is strong. This is the best tight end group that they've had since those Franklin years with Shoy and that and in yeah. that group so th- remember, this is I, that level
2: i've talked about it well that they blocked really well last year at the tight end position mm-hmm. and it and you could tell that they did because of how you know again how poorly the o-line played and so the tight ends coming in there and chip blocking off the edge whether you know whether it was a run play or a screen pass you could easily tell because of how how poor how much the o-line was struggling so if, if that's why I, I keep going back to the O-line, if the O-line can can create one to two more seconds, not even two seconds, with just one more second for, for Mike Wright, I think that would help a lot because the tight ends are already, the tight ends are already, for the most part, doing their job. I mean, they're, they're doing their job. So I, I just, I, they, they were tremendous in that. And so now, Will, they're not expected, no, nobody, nobody this, this season's expecting Bresnahan or Schoenwald to to drop 50 60 70 yards on you but I think that they're they're capable of doing that this year because no one expects it so you know you get Bresnahan on a pop pass you hit Schoenwald on a on a shallow cross I think those will be open this year so everything should start to open up for this offense this season now is it going to be easier is it going to play out like that probably not but everything should start to kind of come into place and you know, I don't know if that happens, but at the same time, that's, that's what I think we've both all been harping on. That last season, there was no chance of that happening. Number one, the O-line. Number two, you didn't know who was back there at quarterback ever. I mean, is that Oh, is that Mike back there, or is that Ken? Who, who am I snapping the ball to right now? Like, I mean, half the time, that was, <laughs> that was the problem. So, offensively, Will, would you agree things should start to look, look like a, a sign of progress?
0: Yes. And the number one reason we haven't even touched on, and the best position group on the whole team, we haven't even touched on. And that is the running back position this season. Because last season, the running back position was led by Ramon Davis, who was a huge transfer in and was going to be the key and focus of the entire offense. And he was injured and missed basically the entire season. And that's not why they lost to etsu. He played the etsu game. He had a good run against Stanford, but maybe he missed the rest. With well, him,
2: with him and it, it healthy, the second half of the Stanford game. Maybe it's closer. I don't know if they win, but I think that definitely.
0: Made a difference yes, it had players. an impact, and that is being overlooked because it happened so early in the season, and they yeah. lost to etsu with him anyway. but it is being overlooked and you have gotten so much experience for Rocco back there. Mm -hmm. And you've got, and you've got this one, two punch there and you have the RPO action, but Ramon Davis is the one name that you're hearing it a lot. You're seeing stuff about it. I don't think people realize that's a different level. That's a different dude. That is not as good as Rocco Griffin as good as Patrick Smith is. And as well as they performed last year, There's a difference, and this is not sliding these guys by any stretch. They were great players. There's a difference between Jerron Seymour and, let's say, Warren Norman. There's a difference between Jerron Seymour and, I don't want to say the name, Zach Stacey. There's a difference between him and Keyshawn Vaughn. You just have this difference of of this this playmaking ability. That's an NFL-back potential versus a good college back and Vanderbilt yeah. hasn't seen that NFL back potential since obviously Keyshawn Vaughn and Clark Lee has not had weapons and playmakers another name as a freshman is McGowan seeing Ooh, that name I was, a I was lot, just gonna say that a lot well he's, lot he's gonna RPR be I packages. think I
2: think he's gonna be a guy like Ray last year against ETSU I didn't expect much from Ray I mean I I knew Ray Davis was a good running back. I didn't know he was going to play the way he did against ETSU. He played well. He ran the ball well. They still lost, and and, you know, got wiped off the field. But I think Jade McGowan, right off the bat against Hawaii, they're going to get him the football, and he's going to make plays. You know, I I think a a a kind of a bet of the week, that early bet of the week for Hawaii, Jade McGowan scores a touchdown. There's probably not a prop bet for that, but I I just I love that because. I think Jaden McGowan is a guy that Vanderbilt hasn't had maybe the past two to three years. I mean, when's the last time? Now, he's got to still go out there and perform. He's only a freshman. But I mean, looking, hearing what we've been hearing and looking at his tape in high school, Jaden McGowan's legit. Like He is a legit speed guy that is big, too. I mean, he, he is built for his size. He's not real tall. He's not going to go up and, and, and Odell somebody, you know, in the corner of the end zone, but he will get open and run after the catch. So, well, this offense, like, you know, we, we, we mentioned it last year at times that if things were to come together, it's not as abysmal of an offense as, as we might think, and I think we're kind of saying the same thing this year, but it does all go back to the O-line. So, yeah, you got Jane McGowan. I still don't think they have enough receivers. Um, I mean, you've got Will Shepard, um, and you've got Quincy Skinner, but Skinner, this is really his first action, um, you know, this season, and, be... Really saw,
0: yeah, I mean, everything you've seen is that basically McGowan has kind of ousted Devin Body Junior. out yeah, of that spot, which has been it that's, is, been that's kind of what they wanted him to be last yeah. year, and he basically seems to have been like, "Hey, this is a guy that's a freshman. Yeah, they can basically do this exact same thing better."
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, let's let's go to defense real quick here. Uh, again, not going to be a super long episode uh, this week, uh, but uh, but I do want to kind of get to the, some of the defense and. Well, you can you kind of look around, and, and the buzz I'm hearing right now is that Kane Patterson will likely start. Um, now, we don't know if he will or not, but um, coming from a school like Clemson and, and kind of that experience, bringing that experience over, you got to believe the linebacker core is to the defense as the running backs are to the offense. I mean, that defense is going to go as Anthony Orji and Kane Patterson go. But you've got depth there now. You've got depth with Ethan Barr. Um, hell, Langston Patterson is is probably going to play a little bit. Arrington Truesdell, uh, uh, you know, another guy that uh, I, I think has impressed. So you know, Orgy. they don't this, yeah, uh, you know, Anthony orgie uh, uh, you know, obviously as well. So you look at that linebacker core, and that's the best core on the on the defense. And, and but you look at the back end, it's like you know, who do they got? Of course, you got Jeremy Lucian coming in, Will and uh, Jalen Mahoney, of course. But um, it does feel like this defense should take a. I don't know about a big step forward, but under Clark Lee and the development of most of these guys, I'm excited to see how much, what this defense can do. Um, but it all comes back to the guys up front, the big bodies. Um, I mean, if you if you want to win at games in the SEC, it comes down to up front. You know, the offensive and D, offensive line, D line, and obviously your quarterback. But the D line, I'm not seeing much improvement. Um, you know, and they're banged up right now. Um, but I have heard good things about Malik Langham, who has finally mm. kind of started to come along as well. So, um, Will, this defense, obviously, I, I go straight to the linebackers, and I think Will, I've said, I think I've said this before, for Yorji, if he plays up to his potential this year, he's going to be, a, I think, a top five round draft pick in the NFL draft. I mean, maybe even a, a little bit earlier. Um, so he can kind of play his way into that. Um, but you know, I mean, I, you look at, I look at the linebackers, I say that that's what I think about the running backs for the offense. Same, same exact thing.
0: Pending health, I, I will say I expect this defense to take a big step forward. I yeah. mean, it should take a big step forward. They should, with, I want to say this because if they can stay healthy, because yeah. this, this is a very, I won't say very talented, this is a, an upgraded defense on what the starting 11 will be. And that first few guys into the rotation, you have mm-hmm. Davion Davis, Nate Clifton. Uh, McAllister, and then you listed off the linebackers. There's depth at the linebacker position. The D-line has talent. Malik Langham, you said. he's He's been a standout. But those four guys, outside of that, it's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of younger guys and yeah. or guys that have never really broken into that rotation. But the linebacking group, kind of like what we said, you compared them to the running backs. I'm going to compare them to the tight ends and say that obviously the play of the offensive and defensive lines has to be up to a certain level to make, to justify this and make this true. Right. But great, but a really, really good group of tight ends and linebackers can make up for issues that you have with, within your offensive and defensive lines. And I think Mm -hmm. that the linebacking group this year, if they can stay healthy because almost every single one of those guys that we named off on that linebacking group, orgy, bar, Patterson all have had injury issues. If they can stay healthy, this, this linebacking group can pre, be pretty talented. And you mentioned Lucy and you mentioned uh, Mahoney, but outside of that, it, it's a lot of, uh, not unproven guys, but guys that don't have a lot of experience back there in that mm-hmm. secondary you're going to see John house uh, you're going to be J Anderson. You're going to see some guys that you just haven't seen consistently be successful out on the field. So the secondary good just like the defensive line on that first group that you read off you're feeling good the moment a guy goes down with a turned ankle and then the issue is not the first guy the issue is that guy has to have a breather every now and then then it's their guy that rotates in for them that's the issue that's what Clark Lee is trying to build and fix and work on is they just have they don't have any depth is that front line feels like this team well, it's not going to be worse than last year. That's no. me and you. Definitively, I will confidently say that I will come on and blast Clark Lee and the entire staff if they take a step back from last season. That being said, I don't even know how they they would do that, taking a step back. I keep hearing about improvement, and I keep thinking, and I don't say this lightly, That was probably one of the worst seasons in the history of Vanderbilt football, and I don't say that lightly. I say the 0-9 with a forfeit of the last game of the season was probably the worst one in like the last 40 years, I would say, winless. Mm -hmm. There have been other winless, but it wasn't just the 2-10 and record. It was you beat two of the worst teams in the entire country, not just bad. You beat – uconn who was the war they were the worst fps program in the country you barely beat them on the last second field goal and then you beat colorado state who was also bottom 25 in the country on a last second field goal as well and you lost for the first time in program history to an fcs program so what i'm saying is all of this is great and i keep hearing about positive improvement positive change that's fantastic Let's also acknowledge that you're starting from probably the lowest base point of saying that we're going to improve. <laughs> so that's also like, I, am going to stop saying it and I'm going to stop saying they're improving. <laughs> Cause you're going to, you're going already, you're going eventually get your hopes up. No, it's not even that. I'm just getting sick of it. I'm getting tired of Vanderbilt media and all the writing and all the coaches answers of talking about improving. I'm like, no shit you better be improving. Like you you just, you started out last season with a dumpster fire loss to ETSU and then skirted by Colorado state. Like that's not how this season can start that the season cannot start by it worse than that. I can't even imagine a start looking at that schedule against Hawaii and Elon, that would be worse. So I'm tired of the word improving. I'm tired of saying they're going to look better than last year. Like, yes, That's a given like if that doesn't happen, I don't think he makes it out of year two if they come out and look worse than they did last year. So let's (laughs) stop using that. And let's start saying that there's this basal level of expectation of this is going to look like a like an FBS football program. Let's start with that. That's my base expectation. And that's what I want to see against Hawaii week one is look like a division one FBS football team that's not in the bottom 25 teams in the entire country. That's well, it. That's where I'm starting, and that would be an improvement.
2: There's the rant for the night for Mr. Will Byron. Um, but, Will, I, we, we talked about it all last season, and we, ref, we, we, we referenced at the beginning of almost every podcast last year that, listen, we are doing our best to talk logically about what we have been seeing from this Vanderbilt mm-hmm. football team. And, and we had to kind of make that decision after the ETSU game. You know, I remember we, we, we kind of – I remember us talking. We were like, hey, you know, what do we do here? Are we going to – are we just going to kind of sit back and, and and you know, be lazy about talking about this team? And we were like, you know what? I mean, that would be boring. We might as well not do a podcast. So, you know, basically it's going to be the same approach as last season until something substantial happens. Say they come out and beat an SEC team this year, you know, if – if for some reason that happens, Look, then that I'll, i really, start- what I'm hitting
0: on, what I'm hitting on is probably my least favorite thing. And this is not the original phrase, but what I'm hitting on is what I'm tired of seeing is the subtle disrespect of low expectations. And that is what I'm tired of seeing. I'm tired of seeing Vanderbilt's own writers talk about these guys as if they're not part of the sec and they're wearing padded helmets and they're wearing extra pads. I'm like, if you don't have a podcast or somebody that can call a spade a spade and just look at it and say, this team at this position is thin. And they're like last year was unacceptable. And that level this season cannot happen again. So of course it has to improve the fact that that's just not something that everybody is just going with immediately. is pretty, it's pretty disrespectful more than anything of anybody that anything that we have ever said, because if I, if I'm not criticizing you and I can't criticize you, then then we are not equals. I don't see you as a respectable thing mm-hmm. if I can't have criticisms of you. So as harsh as I sound, I think it is more respectful to sound harsh than it is to say, well, you know, this is just probably, you know, it's a tough, it's going to be a tough grind for this team with, you know, and, and like, yes, it is. I agree. I mean, it's going to, it's hard to see more than it's three wins be when you play out this schedule. But we're not going to talk about it that way. And I think that's the biggest thing. That's the difference is we're going to talk about this team like it is a bunch of high level three stars and some four stars and a coach that has come over from Notre Notre Dame and Barton Simmons, who used to run the 24 seven rating system as the general manager and coach AJ Blazek on the offensive line. And we can be critical and they are able to take it and improve. And hopefully we will see improvement on the field. So I'm just tired of seeing all of the things that are more disrespectful by trying not to sound harsh because you're just going from the fact of like, well, for, for Vanderbilt, this is a, that's like my favorite. I'm like for Vanderbilt. I'm like, so it's not good. If you're saying for Vanderbilt, it's a good O-line. So it's not good because if they want to compete and do what Clark Lee said, he wants to do, which is be a dominant force within the conference. Then you can't see things through a Vanderbilt lens. And that's the number one thing to start with is if he actually wants to do that, which is not going to be tangible in the field next year, things have to stop being viewed of, okay, well, there's 13 other teams and about to be more, but then there's Vanderbilt and everything's just a little bit lower of expectations. That has to change.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, um, you know, I feel like we did that last year. You know, I mean, I, I think after the ETSU Mm -hmm. loss, we brought Chris Lee on and we've got our highest rated podcast ever um because f- fans wanted to know what the hell was going on um and then throughout the season of course we 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 talked about the wins we talked we talked about the two wins we talked about the two losses You're, not two losses 10 losses <laughs> oh man yeah. um, but but will it again it, i clark lee here's the thing about clark lee clark lee no he understands this i, I don't I, there, I feel like there's kind of this perception of 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 Clark Lee, maybe nationally, but even more so locally, that um, he's just kind of this this random stopgap coach that that went to Vanderbilt and and you know uh, obviously graduated from Vanderbilt, came from Notre Dame. But I'm with you. This is Clark Lee, Notre for, former Notre Dame defensive coordinator who has big time experience at a big time college football program. So. The fact that, you know, I, and I'm with you on the writers and, and, and other people around Nashville media, local media, kind of training this team like some sort of, you know, seventh and eighth English. grade middle school team or, or a high like let let's look at what they've got and and legitimately talk about this team and give the fans what they need. And I think Clark Lee appreciates that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know Clark Lee personally, but Clark Lee knows what 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 it takes. And, and I know I've said this before. He understands this, and I think he would appreciate people talking about his team like this, and 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 you know maybe going to practice and and trying to find these stories in, in the right way. You're, we're not just kind of sugarcoating and and you know kind of giving giving Vanderbilt a pillow to to lay their head on. And, but
0: we're also not just randomly coming on here and like criticize it. We also make it a point to not individually just criticize guys just for no reason. And yeah. I think that's another thing is like. Ju- is there's like this fine line that's very hard to find, especially within college athletics because you have to keep in mind these are 18 to 23, mm-hmm. 24 year old men. I'm very tired of the phrase kids and and boys. I, I'm very tired of that. They're not <laughs> they're men, 18 to 24 year old men. um but they are young. And so it's like, okay, they're also college students and they're also going through class and they're also like 20. So I don't want to, maybe they had, they had probably had a tough week. They had some time and it's like, I don't just want to be like they had a bad game and just come on. I know that they wanted to go out and perform better. So I like to look at things from group perspectives and then individually. I mean, of course, if a guy is a bad game, we're not going to come on here and not reference it. Yeah. But I, I think that's a tough balance to find. And, and I think we're we're continuing to grow doing that and learning how to do it. But yeah, yeah. I think, that that there's a fine balance between having realistic expectations, which is always something very, very necessary. And then also not like doing exactly what we were just referencing, which is like disrespecting Vanderbilt in general just because of of having realistic in quotation expectations.
2: Yeah. And, and Will, you know, we'll continue to kind of, we will have a full um, season schedule preview. That'll be a separate pod. We'll have a full position breakdown preview. That'll be a separate pod. Um, but, Will, I had something to say. I'm forgetting it. It's getting late. Uh, there is a scrimmage Saturday at Endsworth. Um, I'm going to do my best to get down there and see um, what that'll be about, what that'll look like. Um, but again, oh, I got it. I remember what I was going to say. You talked about earlier, Will, learning things the hard way. You know, you talk about the kid, you know, putting his hand on the, on the stove and getting burnt. That's how you learned the hard way. I think this was a necessary evil last season, you know, and and, and this was a, that was a necessary growth, growth, growth spurt. I don't know if that, it was a spurt, um, but it was kind of that, okay, you got to have that happen. He learned Clark learned everything the hard way, the players that are, that, that played last year, and they're now back this year, they, they are a part of that. So, and I think that matters. I, I think, you know, I, and we talked about last season, I, I still, I'm kind of with you and all right, now here's year one. This is year one. Yep. And, 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 you know, what we saw last year, yes, there was improvement towards the end of the season, Um, but you really cannot take anything. I mean, you can't take anything away from last season. You, you can take, of course, the bad, the, the bad that you saw, but you cannot take um, much good. Now, of course, towards the end of the season, you know, we saw what, what that team maybe was capable of, but um, I agree with what you said at the beginning of the pod will, um, you know, they learn things the hard way. And I think sometimes that's good. That's a good thing um, to happen. So, uh, but yeah, we'll scrimmage Saturday. Uh, that'll be, I'm not sure if that's open to the public or not. We'll check it's on not. that. Um, okay. So unfortunate uh, for Vanderbilt fans. Uh, Ensworth, I'm guessing they'll be locking their gates. Maybe you could uh, head over there, sneak in. Somehow. I, I uh,
0: read that on 24-7. I think it was Robbie. Robbie's always got us covered. Robbie Wines, oh, yeah. in 24-7. He gets a plug almost every podcast. But I think he said that because it's an off-site scrimmage, it has to be closed or something like closed?
2: Did he say anything about being closed the media? I'm not sure
0: about media. I'm not sure about that. But I'm I'm pretty sure he said, he mentioned on one of the 24-7 message boards that it was closed to the public. Gotcha.
2: Okay. Well, that'll do it, Will. Also, Brian Reynolds for the Pirates just walked it off, um, off walk-off winner of the Brewers. So there's a little van. Vanderbilt also got
0: a tight end commit. A three-star tight end commit as well. Camoryon, so Pim- yeah. Pimpton. I didn't want, did not want to try to pronounce the name, so that's why I said a, a three-star tight end commit. Yeah. So I wanted you to do that. I think uh, I think
2: I tweeted he's already on the all-name team uh, for for Vanderbilt. He, he, so I did
0: this whole podcast team. with zero notes. So I want to throw that in Hon- here. At Honestly, the end. my I... laptop has been freezing up, and I can't have Microsoft Word open at the same time as Zoom. So I've just been just free balling it. And that's, so hopefully <laughs> I didn't make any mistakes. I was just naming off names, just whatever. It's like 1030. I've worked 11 hours. Like I'm, I'm just naming off names of guys that played like 15 years ago. And I'm like, fingers oh, crossed. Man. Let's pray. No fact check. No anything. I can't run a Google search or it freezes up my video and audio on the podcast.
2: That's that's pretty impressive. That, that's actually pretty impressive. Hardest working man in Vandy podcast never disappoints. Will Byron so, at, at your service. But that'll do it for episode 170 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine with Fool.